You are Locked On Blue Jays, your daily podcast on the Toronto Blue Jays, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Blue Jays fans, and welcome to Locked On Blue Jays, your daily dose of Toronto Blue Jays talk directly into your headspace, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Ryan Andrews from jaysfromthecouch.com, back for another day of Blue Jays discussion, and we're going to be all over the place today as we inch ever closer to the finale of the season. Blue Jays are going to start their final homestand, seven-game homestand. They'll have four against Tampa Bay, three against Houston. We'll tee up the opener of the Tampa Bay series in the latter segment of today's podcast. And we're going to actually talk about the Blue Jays' managerial race. Uh, One candidate getting a strong endorsement the other day. We'll talk about that and how that kind of plays into the Blue Jays' philosophy moving forward. But we have to start with game action from last night. And it was a tough one. Blue Jays had every opportunity to sweep the Orioles for the final time this season, but they couldn't do it. They lost 2-1, and just wanted to talk about a couple of takeaways from last night's game first, starting with starter Marco Estrada. And we said on yesterday's program that Marco Estrada needed to have that good outing, take advantage of the opponent he had drawn, they, they kind of shifted the rotation a little bit to get Estrada this game and just let him go out there and have a, a performance that Estrada could be proud of and something that he could take going forward since it's looking very likely that he will not be back with this Toronto club next year. And he did that for the most part. He, he got a weak Baltimore lineup and pitched very well against it. Six innings, only four hits given up, only one walk which is huge. He needed 98 pitches for it, but still, quality start from Marco Estrada. He only made one mistake all night, and that was that pitch that DJ Stewart lined for his first real home run as a major leaguer, knocking it off the foul pole, and thankfully getting the ball back after Teoscar Hernandez chucked it into the stands, which, hmm, I don't know how intentional that was. To, to keep it away from the rookie. He, he had his home run, courtesy Billy McKinney and Aaron Sanchez, yesterday. But what Marco pitched like he should. Which, again, that's something we haven't been able to say as of late with Marco Estrada. But facing a young Baltimore team, he did a very good job keeping them off balance. Again, utilizing his strengths, which is that fastball changeup mix, to, to keep them off balance. And again, for the most part, it worked. It, the problem is he did not get enough support to be taken off the hook for the loss. And actually, we'll talk about that right now because that was a big problem with the Blue Jays last night. It was another instance where they're essentially getting a bullpen game from the opponent. Jimmy Yacobonis is going out there. He's not a starter by any stretch of the imagination. Struggled in limited action. And, of course, what he does is goes out and throws up three perfect innings to start against the Blue Jays because they cannot help themselves when it comes to these bullpen kind of games. And that's not even what I'm mad about. 
That's that's not the big takeaway from everything. The big takeaway from last night from an offensive standpoint is once again the Blue Jays just shoot themselves in the foot. They they have prime opportunities to cash runs and they can't do it because the base running is not solid or they're just not able to make enough contact. And the big play from last night, arguably the play that really defined that game, came in the fourth inning when Yakabonis was wild and managed to load the bases on a Billy McKinney single. Lourdes Gurriel bunt, which that was amazing. Like watching a Blue Jay actually get a bunt single. Mind-blowing. <laughs> so thank you for Lourdes for providing that. That would have been the hit of the game. <laughs> barring uh, Billy McKinney's home run later. But anyway, McKinney's on third. Gurriel's on second. Justin Smoke just gets walked. So, bases are loaded. None out. How many times have the Blue Jays been in this situation this year with a prime opportunity to score runs off a pitcher that's flagging and Kendris Morales is up at the dish? And, for the most part, Kendris did his job. Kendris Morales was up there to try and tie the game by any means necessary. Ground into a double play, fly ball, whatever. And he got the fly ball. Wasn't very deep, but he hit the fly ball. Now, that is where the problems kind of stand. And depending on how you look at how that play unfolded, whether or not Billy McKinney made the decision himself to go on whatever, whenever Adam Jones caught that ball, location be darn, or if this was another case of Luis Rivera being extremely aggressive and trying to send runners home. Either way, doesn't look good for the Blue Jays. And you you look at the situation where that fly ball was hit. Adam Jones is a gold glove center fielder playing right field, charging in on a shallow fly ball. All of those should have been warning signs for whoever at third base made that decision. But McKinney ran the second the ball hit Adam Jones's glove. And he was out by a solid couple of feet. It, was, it wasn't a great slide either. And that killed the Blue Jays. And on a night where no one was producing any kind of offense outside of the top third of the lineup, the uh, Billy McKinney and Lourdes Gurriel combined to go four for eight. Justin Smoke got on base twice with walks. Everyone else, 0 for. Just, just absolutely abject performance by the lower two-thirds of that Toronto lineup. It it was terrible to try and watch. Only other base runner to come from those bottom six was when Kevin Pillar got plunked. Unacceptable. But anyway, I it just frustrates me to watch Blue Jay after Blue Jay being needlessly cut down because the base running isn't there and because of these over-aggressive sends and, and hit-and-runs that don't work. And I understand that the Blue Jays have a team that is slow, that needs jumps to in order to score. But you have to be smart. You can't be sending 37-year-old Curtis Granderson running on, on a shallow fly ball. You can't be sending 23-year-old Billy McKinney running on a shallow fly ball. Just absolutely unacceptable. And I, I met someone uh, messaged me on Twitter saying that if Gibbons is gone at the end of the season, Luis Rivera should be cut loose as well. And, like, it's going to be a clean house sort of 
reaction to the Blue Jays, I think. The Blue Jays staff members with the best chances of surviving this season are going to be DeMarlo Hale if he gets consideration for the manager job. And then probably first base coach Tim Leeper and maybe Dane Johnson in the bullpen. But that's it. No one else is is probably going to survive that. Gibbons is going to be gone. Jacoby is going to be gone. Rivera is going to be gone. If Hale doesn't get the manager job, he likely leaves. Like it's, it's going to be a clean house for the Blue Jays. And they're going to let whoever comes in as manager kind of build their own team and take it going forward and kind of grow with the youngsters that they get. Speaking of which... One manager candidate got a strong endorsement on the radio the other day. We'll talk about who did what and who's looking better in that chase for that Toronto manager's job right after this message. Okay, so it's been presumptive that Eric Wedge is going to get the Toronto manager job at the end of the year, and he is very uninspiring for people watching it. He he did not do great in Cleveland. He got one division title. He flamed out in Seattle. He's been toiling in front offices since then. And yeah, once he got hired on by the Mark Shapiro-Ross Atkins tandem, it was a foregone conclusion that eventually they'd move him into the managing job. But there are other names out there that are getting mentioned. John Farrell, for some reason could be brought back, which why, why would you do that? I've been a heavy proponent of bringing Sandy Alomar Jr. in. Uh, I believe Dusty Baker got some mentions. There, there are names that are floating out there. John McDonald has been a candidate, which, okay, I like Johnny Mac, but I wouldn't put him in there immediately. There, there have been a bunch of options, but on Sportsnet, 590 The Fan, uh, former Blue Jays announcer, Jerry Hauer, friend friend of Jays from the Couch Radio, friend of Jays from the Couch, great guy. He's been great giving Catherine uh, Stem all the time in the world. Like he's He's been like continuously active in the Blue Jays. And he went on the program and gave his take on who should be the manager of the Blue Jays. And he landed... Uh, he started with the analogy of Kevin Cash in Tampa Bay, who's in his fourth season with them, another former Blue Jays catcher, who's kind of grown into his role and and figured out how to best use his players. And he's had Tampa Bay absolutely rolling since the start of August. It's the only reason why Tampa Bay is still within shouting distance of a playoff spot, which they, it, in a fair and just world, they would boot out. Cleveland, or they would boot out one of the NL teams, because honestly, Tampa Bay has been really good with that pitching staff of theirs, so whatever. Location plays against them. So Howard brought up Kevin Cash, talked about him, how he was able to grow into that role with Tampa Bay, and paralleling that with what Toronto's going to be doing, and given that they're going to have a lot of young guys, he put forward that it would be the right time to promote John Schneider, who is currently the double-A manager at New Hampshire, who just won the Eastern League title, and let John Schneider grow into that role and, and kind of see what he can do. And honestly, I really like the idea of having John Schneider up there. If you're going to go 
the John McDonald route of finding a player and just kind of installing them like, like to be the analytical side of the front office. Why not get a guy who has experience in that role? And not only that has proven he can win. Like John Schneider's won back-to-back titles with Toronto affiliates, one in Dunedin in 2017 was promoted to New Hampshire one there Bobby Meacham hasn't shown interest in being promoted from Buffalo. So why not look at Schneider in in kind of a similar meth- manner to the way they looked at John Gibbons, whose main managerial experience was as the manager at San Antonio before he came to the major leagues as, as a bullpen coach. And looking at what Schneider's been able to do, he, he would be a positive choice in a lot of aspects. For the Toronto Blue Jays, he is a lifer of the organization, spent his entire playing career with the team since being drafted in 2002 out of Delaware, made it up to AAA Syracuse at the time, but obviously didn't get anywhere beyond that stage. But he's shown he knows how to handle his younger guys. And this kind of relates to the article I'm going to be writing uh either tonight or tomorrow for Jays from the couch.com. He has the ability to utilize the blue Jays strengths in a way that no one on the staff really has that ability to do. And I illustrate this using the stolen base totals, because one thing we've been just craving as blue Jays fans is a team that can use its speed The Blue Jays can't reliably hit home runs anymore. They're not going to get 50 home runs from anyone in their lineup just yet. Vlad Jr. is not hitting 50 in his first year. Let's not get that twisted. So it's a team that's going to have to manufacture runs its own way. And even if you look in the division, Boston's been able to do that. They they manufactured runs before. Then they got J.D. Martinez, who just hits dingers. But that's made their offense so multifaceted that it's, it's led to this perfect machine of theirs that's continuously humming and just piling up wins even to this date if the blue jays are going to become that kind of multifaceted team they need someone who can both use the power that they're going to have and utilize the other methods of scoring runs and i i brought up the stolen base totals there were six fisher cats that piled up uh, over 15 stolen bases this season and that's led by Bo Bichette's 32. That That's a great number. It, show, it shows just how much speed is in the organization for this club. But it, it also shows John Schneider's willingness to use it. And, and they don't get caught often either. Bo Bichette led in catches. He got caught 11 times. That's still an almost 75% success rate on steals. Jonathan Davis, when he was in New Hampshire, stole 19 bases got caught stealing three times. He he has that speed. Even Kevin Biggio. Kevin Biggio was a 2020 guy in New Hampshire because they were able to use his speed as well as his power. And when you contrast that with the Blue Jays, who Kevin Pillar leads the club in stolen bases with 14, that would put him seventh in New Hampshire. Having a manager who's willing to use the speed on the base pass, who knows how to use the speed on the base pass to compensate for not having that power on demand. It, it would just be a nice tool in the box to have for a team that's going to have to learn how to create runs in ways without using the long ball. And 
John Schneider's shown he's he has the ability to do that. He has the ability to grow with these guys as they progressed through the major leagues. And and he's he's had veterans down there, so he knows how to work with them as well. Craig Breslow pitched in New Hampshire for a good chunk of the year when he wasn't injured. John Birdie came down after being reacquired from Cleveland and and gave them a steady presence down there in their chase for the championship. So he knows how to handle veterans as well. So John Schneider has a lot of the intangible qualities that I think a younger team is going to be looking for its manager. And as Jerry Howard said on the program, they want to find a guy who's going to be willing to grow with the team and not kind of impose himself the way a veteran manager like an Eric Wedge, like a John Farrell, would be inclined to do. So I really like this push for John Schneider to get the manager job in Toronto. And hopefully he is going to get the chance to at least make the shortlist and present himself to the higher ups and, and get that shot. I, I like Jerry Howard's take on it. I think it's a strong, ten, like feasible idea for the Blue Jays to look at moving forward. Speaking of moving forward, we will talk about the opener of a four game series at home with the Tampa Bay Rays right after this break. All right, the final homestand for the Blue Jays Fan Appreciation Weekend this weekend. All that fun stuff starts tonight in Toronto. They host the Tampa Bay Rays. No idea who they're going to be facing on the mound. I can almost guarantee you they're going to get a lot of Yanni Chirinos either tonight or tomorrow. I'm I'm guessing tonight for Chirinos, but you know they'll have to do the usual thing of facing Rin Stanek to start the game, and then Chirinos will likely come in after that. Blue Jays have to be patient and and really just let themselves have a chance to see what they're working with. Stanek started twice against the Blue Jays earlier this month for a total of 26 pitches in two innings, only gave up one hit. Just Blue Jays were unable to do anything with them. They have to kind of sit back and make Stanek pitch them, which is is tough. Stanek's been one of the best arms in that Rays bullpen with his 249 ERA. But the Blue Jays have to be patient, have to make him work. Again, this season, Stanek has owned the Blue Jays five and a third innings, no runs, seven strikeouts, only two hits and one walk. So the Blue Jays have to kind of sit back and make Stanek come to them. They're probably going to be rolling out the same top half of the lineup they did yesterday with McKinney and Guriel making up the top two spots. They they might be working to get Randall Grichik back in the lineup, probably at the expense of Teoscar Hernandez. They might uh, give Kevin Pilar a day off. Devin Travis might might get the day off as well at second base, and they might go Salarte just to try and keep his value up. Might go Urania, but it's probably going to be a vastly different lineup from the nine that was seen yesterday. And they're going to have to be able to deal with not only this opener, but again, Chirinos, a guy who has really come on as of late and, and solidified himself as a longer arm in that bullpen. Like he'd be starting on a lot of other teams, but he solidified his presence as that kind of regular pitcher, kind of like Ryan Yarbrough, who I don't believe the Blue Jays are going to see this series given he pitched last night against Texas. So small, small plus there. 
Sam Gaviglio is going tonight, and then it'll it'll be rookies after him. So Gaviglio, he's much like Marco Estrada. This is his last chance to really kind of prove himself heading into the offseason. Internally on Jays from the Couch, we talked about who's going to be in that rotation next year. And one of my colleagues, who shall remain nameless, put Sam Gaviglio in there as just a kind of innings eater guy. And I was arguing against it just because I, I have not been impressed with the length Sam Gaviglio has shown. And I want someone in there who's going to be able to give the bullpen breaks, not not be, a, okay, we have to pick up five innings today. We have to pick up six and a third innings today. We have to pick up four-plus innings on that bullpen, especially considering how young the rotation can be next year. It's going to be imperative to have guys who can go in there and eat innings, and Sam Gavilio is not one of them. Now, he could start the season in Buffalo next year. He could be in Toronto as that kind of swingman. But essentially, he should be the sixth option. He should not be a fourth option for this club next year. If you're going to do that, start getting the younger arms out there. Keep Sean Reed fully up. Or give David Polino that shot. Give Mark Leiter that shot, if if you're so inclined. But Gavilio cannot be banked upon as a starter heading into opening day for this club. He needs to show that he can reestablish himself just to keep himself at the major league level next year. And... It's going to be tough to do so against the Tampa Bay lineup that he has struggled against in his career. He has a 461 career ERA against Tampa Bay. So he's going to have to go out there and show he can handle the likes of Malik Smith and Joey Wendell and Jake Bowers and G-Man Choi, who's become a revelation for Tampa Bay. And I'm, I'm not sure how successful Gavilio is going to be. It's probably going to be another kind of bullpen game for the Blue Jays, and we'll probably see some of the arms we didn't see in the Baltimore series getting some work. Like I said, your David Polinos, um, your Mark Leiters. Uh, I I don't know how much more we'll see of Danny Barnes. It seems like he's he's run out of chances for the Blue Jays, but we'll see a healthy dose of Tyler Taylor Guerrieri. Probably won't see Justin Schaefer, just given the injury woes that have popped up with him. But yeah, we'll we'll probably see multiple arms working to kind of help Gavilio get across the finish line tonight. Because this isn't Baltimore. So it, it's going to be a rough day for those Blue Jays. But I'll be watching, and I hope you all be watching too, and, and interacting with me on Twitter tonight as we bring this episode of the podcast to the close. Follow me on Twitter at NeoAC18. That's neoac one eight. Always down for lively conversation about the Blue Jays. Again, we're, we're in the final stretch, final 10 games. So I'm going to soak up as much game action as I can for the rest of the season. And then I guess root for the A's just because who else? No, I can't even root for the A's. I'm going I'm to root for the... I'm going to root for whoever ticks me off the least in the AL just to get drubbed by the NL winner because I'm rooting for the Rockies over there. I know LA has taken the bats to them and the Rockies are in peril, but I want either the Rockies or yeah, the Rockies. No, there's, there's no, or Colorado do me solid. So we can talk about it on Twitter on there. Follow the podcast at locked on Jays. Make sure you don't miss an episode. Follow the MLB locked on channel at locked on MLB. 
Check out jasonthecouch.com. Some great content being put out this week on the likes of Tyler Clippard. And uh, the minor league recaps are coming out. Uh, erstwhile co-host of the program, Ryan Miller, doing those. So check those out. Like I said, I'll have something coming up on there. So be sure to watch for that. And yeah, just again, thank you as always for checking out the podcast and giving it your ears because we appreciate it. It's why this show gets done. It's for you, the fans. So thank you all so much. Be sure to get those thoughts in for Fan Friday tomorrow. We'll go over them and and maybe do a little extra. We'll we'll see how things are going tomorrow. So for everyone here at Locked On Blue Jays and the Locked On Podcast Network, I've been Ryan Andrews. Thank you all so much for listening to today's episode. And y'all take care.